it is always my goal to try to be helpful to you and just give you any sort of life hack that I can. Um, so let me help you. You know, if you're ever waking up and you can't get to your phone and you don't know what day it is, just remember the simple little trick. If you wake up and you're feeling the craving for Chick-fil-A, it's Sunday. Just remember that, okay? So if you don't know what day it is, you're like, oh, let's go get Chick-fil-A breakfast. I can guarantee you it's Sunday because it will never be open. How many times have you honestly gone to Chick-fil-A, gone around to the drive-thru, and sat there on a Sunday waiting for anybody? Anybody ever done that? Okay, a few that would say that. Yeah, it happens. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know what the, I, I make the, as I do that round, I make the, the impression like I was just like checking the structure of the building, making sure it's okay, and not letting anybody know that I forgot it was a Sunday. But Chick-fil-A, I think it's a good model of business. They do an excellent job, and they strive for excellence in all that they do. I was reading a, a book about how to increase your productivity for the glory of God, and one of the authors said he was attending an event where uh, Dan Cathy, I believe, was speaking, and he was talking about uh, some of the biblical principles he applies uh, in business to make sure that he's always doing work to the glory of God. And uh, as he was doing that, he began to quote some of the principles from the Sermon on the Mount. And what happened was uh, Dan Cathy ended up quoting a verse like this. Dan Cathy said, uh, and I always try to apply Matthew 5.16, and he said this, let your light shine before others that they may see your clean parking lots and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As you think about that, that is a quote by him where he's taken that and he's kind of twisted it a little bit to put in parking lots for good works. Think about that. Is Dan Cathy being disrespectful to the scriptures? I don't think so. I think he's being discerning with his application of it. Because for him to do business for the glory of God means every aspect of his work, he wants people to see excellence so when they see that, they will give glory to their Father in heaven. See, as we approach the idea in the study of work, the idea of obeying authority, especially in a work-type relationship, I think we always need to be able to say that. Whatever occupation you have, whatever sort of job you may hold where you are answering to some authority, I think you should be able to wake up and say, let my light shine in such a way where I send this email and people can glorify God, my Father. Let my light shine in such a way that I can conduct this meeting in such a way that men may see my good works and glorify my Father. Let's get real specific in using our work and our submission to authority as an opportunity to give him glory. And I think that's what we have in our text. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Verses 5 through 9 uh, give us a good understanding of what we should be doing in regards to a work-type relationship where we are submitting to authority. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as uh, to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. 
See, now why we want to understand the whole culture and what Paul is talking about here, I think we can take these principles and say they will apply to a slave-based culture or one where we have an employee-employer type relationship. And we get that with the idea where he says, God's going to give you good back whether you are a slave or whether you're doing your work because you're in, in a free relationship, whatever relationship. But I think all we can take from this is going to be the idea that when we are an employee to an employer, and when we submit to authority, it is going to have a direct effect on people. Now, before we get into that, I do want to address something, and that's the way that this passage starts in verse 5. It says, slaves. And one thing I think we can talk about and clarify here would be this idea. Maybe you've shared the gospel recently with somebody, or maybe you've read a book, um, an apologetic book, and you'll know that one of the big qualms that people have with the scriptures is they'll say things like, look, the Bible affirms slavery. That, therefore, I can't trust the Bible because slavery is so morally uh, reprehensible, I couldn't believe in a Bible that would promote that. So just for a few moments, I want to give you some talking points to give to somebody. If you're ever having a gospel conversation with them on how you would talk to them if they brought up this objection that the Bible is uh, promoting slavery at that point in time. So maybe you could flip your sheet over. This will be outside of the points, but just a few things to talk about. If you're having a conversation with somebody and uh, you're beginning to engage like this, I would quickly try to discern if they're asking this with genuine humility, wanting to know, or if they're making this as an accusation. Because if they're making it as an accusation and they don't want to talk, it's probably not too good to engage with them. But if they have genuine questions, you can begin like this. And always stress this, that just because we use the same words does not mean we're always talking about the same concept. It's very key to stress that. And we see that with a great number of different examples. We can use one today. You could use this one. When I say the idea of the Queen of England now, that brings up different conjurings than the idea of the Queen of England pre-Magna Carta date back in the Middle Ages. We're using the same word at that point in time, but today I think they would even admit that the Queen is more of a ceremonial role than anything, where back in the medieval times, the Queen and the King and the monarchy had absolute authority and could do whatever they wanted. See, I don't want to talk about the systems being the same thing, although we're using the same words because they're the same words, but they're different concepts at that point in time. So we don't want to necessarily equate the one with the other just because we're using the same words. Well, I think that's much like the Bible. We use words like slave here, and that means something in the Roman period time, and it also means something different with a different concept during the pre-Civil War times in America. Same words, just a different concept. Or maybe you, who's heard of the Westboro Baptist Church, right? Westboro Baptist Church. That's probably only one-third correct. They are from Westboro. Uh, they're probably not Baptist, and they're definitely not a church um, out of all of them. And if somebody came to me and said, oh, Westboro Baptist Church and your Compass Bible Church, therefore you guys believe the same things because we're using the same word, I would say, hey, we might be talking about the same word, church, but we are talking about different concepts. Where we believe we are understanding the Bible correctly this way, this is what a Christian is. So just because we're using the same words does not mean we're talking about the same concept. Then we can go on to show them that in the Bible times, slavery was not what it looked like in American times. While there was aspects of Roman slavery that was despicable and treated people bad, and they were maybe brought on because they're prisoners of war, there was also aspects of the Roman and Greco uh, slavery system that had to do with uh, just earning a wage, 
kind of like a job that you and I would have today. That's why we can take some of these passages and say this would apply to an employee-employer type relationship where some slaves were doing things like teaching or a doctor or some sort of apprentice work within the house, and they were gaining actually great benefits. So the systems aren't the same thing. Especially, we can say, the American system was based on race, where this one is not based on race at all. They're just they're different concepts when we're talking about them. And you notice in the Bible, it's never saying slavery is a good thing. There's never any commendation of slavery. There's just the recognition that it existed. And so what Paul wants to show is that our main job is not to overthrow systems that are corrupt, but to preach the gospel and affect the culture that way. But really, the teaching that's going on here is so radically different than anything that was going on in the Roman society at that point in time that it would point to a major shift with the way that Christians viewed slavery and the way that the Romans would view slavery. Uh, you could make this point of comparison too. In the Old Testament, Exodus 21.16 says, anybody who captures a man and sells him as a possession, that guy's going to be put to death. Well, that is what the slave trade was based on. And anybody who tried to defend the slave trade in America, well, they were going against the Bible all along. They were never affirming it. Yes, some people who called themselves Christians tried to defend themselves from the Bible, but they're just going against clear biblical teaching. Or you think about the book of Philemon, which is all about not treating people according to their status as a slave, but if they're a brother or sister in Christ. That's the most important thing. Over and over again, the scriptures are showing this. Finally, you say most of the people who helped overturn slavery were Christians. William Wilberforce, John Newton, all of these people, Bible-believing Christians, used their government to make a case to say, we can't mistreat people this way. This is not what the Bible's telling us we need to do. So don't let anybody, if you're sharing with them the truthfulness of Scripture, you're trying to evangelize with them, don't let them say that I can't believe in the Bible because it promotes slavery and slavery is so bad. You're making that argument because you're not familiar with the concept of the Bible, and we need to think that way. But now that we've established that, let's get into the, the, the heart of this teaching and how it can apply to you and I today. And I want, to, I want you to put it down, number one, this way. I want you to work like you worship because work is an aspect of worship. Very long point, okay? I will give you 20 minutes to write it down because it is very long. But I think it's helpful to think about the whole concept. I want you to work. When you go to work, I want you to approach it like when you come to worship on Sunday mornings. Because when you come to worship on Sunday mornings, you have a whole different mindset. When we come to work sometimes, we drop the mindset as if we are disconnected from worshiping God. But the scriptures will say you can't compartmentalize your life. There is no difference between you worshiping God in a pew and you sitting at your desk shooting emails off at your work. You are a Christian, a priest of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are there to worship, to do your best to honor God. So I want you to work like you worship because work is an aspect of worship. And we see that in our text, right? Slaves, you need to obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. This is making it an act of worship. You are working as if Christ is there. I will never forget where I was sitting in seminary and the conviction I felt when a, a missionary got up and he said this, he said, how many of you, I was going to the Master's Seminary, and John MacArthur's the president there. How many of you, if you were in the seminary, and John MacArthur walked in, would study just a little bit harder? 
I mean, think about it. Every pastor who has somebody that they look up to, if they came in, that would cause the person to stand up and like, okay, I'm going to take this very seriously. But he said this, do you know what Paul charges Timothy with all the time in the church? In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, I charge you to do your ministry. The presence of Christ should be the ultimate driving force for why you do anything. And whether your boss has told you to do it or not, and whether he's standing over your shoulder, if you have a task to do, it is as if Christ is looking over your shoulder and you are going to answer to him. Work is a form of worship. i got to think that way. That's going to stop me from complaining. That's going to stop me from being jealous. That's going to stop me from being entitled if I think that the omniscient, omnipresent Christ is always there looking at my work because it's a representation of him and is an act of worship to him. Guys, we need to do that. And for this first aspect, from employee to employer, if you're not the boss, it's going to be a major act of worship the way that you respond to that person's authority. Have you guys noticed that throughout the entire section that we've been studying? Okay? We started 521. We've got to submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. But then Paul expands that to say, here's what it looks like. And just because we're submitting to one another does not eliminate any sort of authority from any sort of leadership position. In fact, it heightens it. And here it's saying if you are a slave and you have a master, just because you're a Christian doesn't say you can throw up and say, I don't have to do what you're going to tell me to do because you're not telling me to do something that I want to do. You've got to follow after the authority. And, and I would say this, your attitude and response to earthly authority is really a reflection of your response to God's authority. You read it in the scriptures, Romans 13, there is no authority except from God. What did Jesus say to Pilate? You don't have any power unless God gave it to you. So the boss, even if you don't like him, even if he's a jerk, he has that position right now for a reason because God has put him there. And your response to that authority is how you view God's authority in your life. So we need to make sure that we are responding to it accurately. To make sure we know that, that work is worship. Let me just give you some points of theology, of uh, viewing work as theology. Think about this with me, all right? Uh, Genesis 2.15 tells us that work is pre-fall, okay? That tells us that work is a good thing. Before sin ever entered the world, before there was any sort of uh, break of God's order, God in Genesis 2.15 told Adam to work and keep the garden. That's a great thing. It is a it is part of the blessing and the dignity of being made in the image of God to hold a job and to create and do and cultivate and protect. It is a blessing from God to do it. It is an act of worship. But just like Genesis 2.15 tells us that, Genesis 3.14-16 tells us that sin makes that difficult, right? Adam, you're going to work the ground, but Genesis 3 says after the fall, what's going to happen? You're going to do that work, and it's going to be hard. You're going to it's toil. You're going to sweat. It's going to be difficult. So when I go to my work and I face difficulty, I shouldn't be surprised by that because I'm living in a sin-cursed world where I need to realize the efforts that I'm putting forward, it's going to be hard because of the effects of sin. But also, we need to point out that God has commanded work and us to work hard no matter what after the fall. Two texts of Scripture I want you to write down with that. God has commanded us to work hard after the fall. Colossians 3.23 which tells us to do our work heartily unto the Lord. And then 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 11. I want to read that one to you. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 11. Listen to this. 2 Thess 3, 
6 through 11. Now we command you, brothers. He's a commandment coming from the Apostle Paul. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. We're not supposed to be just lazy, sitting around, not doing anything. And if somebody calls themselves a Christian and they have idle hands, well, we can't be associating with those types of people because they are dishonoring God who created them to work. Anyone who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you know ourselves how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden on any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you uh, in ourselves as an example to imitate. For even when you were with us, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that someone uh, among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. See, that's the temptation of sin, to just kind of give up and not do the work that God is calling us to do. Because it's hard now, and we don't want to do that. We can't be about that. We should be about the Father's work all the time, every single part of our life. There's no categories that that doesn't cover. But now if you think about that, it sounds all really hard. Write down this point about work. God has blessed us to enjoy our work. We can actually enjoy what we do. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25. Ecclesiastes 2 24 and 25. God has blessed us that we can enjoy our work. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and have enjoyment? When your relationship to God is right and you are working hard for him, you can find joy and blessing in that toil in that struggle because God is giving that as a gift to you. Not only that as an incentive, but listen to this. God is sovereign over the productivity of your work. You ever thought about that? Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer builds in vain. So if you have a sovereign God in your corner and you're doing the work, commit your work to the Lord, Proverbs 16, and your plans will be established. You have the God of the universe on your side to do the work that you're called to do. There's nothing that you cannot handle. And finally, God is the only audience we should care about. That's what our text says back in Ephesians. If you head back there, God's the only audience we should care about in work. Right? Slaves, do it as you would obey Christ. And masters, verse 9, do the same thing. If you're a boss in here and you have employees and you're threatening them and lording it over them, God's going to hold you accountable for that. Don't think that you're exonerated just because you've been given the title boss. In fact, what did Jesus say? To whom much is given, much is required. So I need to treat every aspect of my work, no matter if it's employee or employer, as an aspect of worship. Let me see if I can help you keep this perspective, okay? Here's four things I would suggest to help keep this perspective. The first one is this. Read specific passages about God's greatness and our neediness. If you want to develop this as a mindset, read specific passages about God's greatness and our goodness. I can suggest two for you. James 4, 13 to 17. James 4, 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city, 
can spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. What is your life? It's a miss here for a moment. Instead, what you ought to say, right, if the Lord wills, we will, do th- we will live and do this. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. I need to read that passage and realize everything about my life is dependent upon God. And if I think I'm independent of that for a moment, I'm going to struggle with pride. Second text I would give you is Daniel 4, 34, and 35. The reason that's applicable is that's Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar looks out at all his work and he says, look at what all that I've accomplished. God takes it from him and then God helps him realize, wow, nothing happens. In effect, Nebuchadnezzar says something like, you do according to all you will among the host of heaven and all the inhabitants of the earth. You need to read those passages over and over again to keep this mindset as you work. Secondly, I want you to pray before, during, and after work, okay? Sometimes we're praying right when we get in there, and then the rest of the day, we're not thinking about that. Pray before you go to work. God, help me to honor you. Pray during the day, whatever time you can get. And uh, here's a good challenge for you at the end of the day. Pray at the end of the day, and make sure you can do this. Make sure you can say, thank you to God for all that was accomplished at that day with the work you put in. When you can say that, you're now providing yourself great accountability. Can I say, God, thank you for empowering me. I couldn't have done what I did without you today. If you can't pray that prayer of thankfulness, you're not looking at work as worship. You're looking at it as a means to an end, to glorify yourself, to get money, whatever it is. You need to make sure you can offer thanks to the end of the day. Accountability in your groups, that's one of the stewardship components you can have. That's another way to keep this perspective. And finally, don't forget that if we work, we also have to rest, okay? If you ignore rest, you will not understand your dependence upon God. God set it up that we would work six days, right, and rest one of them. We are dependent creatures. Our body needs rest. So make sure you spend time resting, not working to rest, but resting then in order to go back to work. We were just watching, you know, the March Madness tournament. Did you guys see that? On, if you watched it online, the CBS thing, they had a boss button up in the corner. You see that? And what happens if you click the boss button? It puts down an email screen that makes it look like you've been working rather than watching the games all day, right? Now, that's ridiculous and funny, right? Because it's an outward expression of that. But hold on. How many of us do that in our own minds? We're on the outside, it looks like we're doing it for God's glory. But on the inside, we're really not doing it. See, if we have a boss button in our mind that lets other Christians think, oh, he's good, he's doing it for that, but we're not okay on the inside, it's not okay. We've got to make sure that we have that as a vital component in our life. So that's what happens when we treat work as worship. But secondly, point number two, I want you to treat work as a witness because your work is a witness. Work like you are a witness because your work is a witness. Guys, I can tell you, you can articulate a Christian worldview all you want with your words, but you will authenticate a Christian worldview with your actions. When you are sitting there at your cubicle and the boss looks at you as the epitome of a great employee, when you stand up and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, you've got great authenticity right there. But if you are a punk and you start naming the name of Christ, how dare you? To say that Jesus is the one 
who has blessed you and you go to work and goof around? Can't do that, guys. I mean, that's 1 Peter 2, 18 to 20. It says, hey, if you suffer for doing good, you're standing up for Christ, and they're going to harm you at work, great. You're going to be blessed. But if you're, if you're punished for being an idiot, my paraphrase, if you're punished for being an idiot, I like my paraphrase better there, yeah. If you're punished for being an idiot, it doesn't do you anything, okay? 1 Peter 2, 18, make sure that your work is your witness when you get there. That doesn't mean we don't share the gospel. Remember, it gives us the platform to do it. It authenticates our witness, Guys, one of the greatest, I mean, think about Daniel, right? Isn't that what Daniel's, one of his legacies was, out of many legacies, was this. Among all the people in Babylon, he constantly was the best. And even when they had to lie against him, and he went in the lion's den, God protected him. There is such a great benefit to a witness when your work matches that. And we need to make sure all day long that we are doing that. So let's make sure that we treat our work as our witness. Let's turn to Titus 2 to see this. Titus 2, 9 and 10. Titus 2, 9 and 10. Speaking again on the subject of slavery, but again, we're just going to take the employee-employer relationship. Titus 2, 9 and 10. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they might adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. You want your work to be adorning to God, to, to do the, the cosmetic work to make it look more appealing. And when your actions are backed up, uh, when your words are backed up by your actions, you have a great ability to witness at your work. Because I, I hope that's what you're using your time there to do. To think this way about work is going to take a lot of practice on your part. Because we're fed every day from our culture, you work to gain things for yourself. You work to gain status for yourself. That is what's being presented to you, and you've got to practice hard against that so that whenever you are presented with that temptation, you will step up with the right thoughts and the right principles. You guys watched the final game, the uh, March Madness one? Incredible game, right? Uh, as Ryan told you, I chose MSU, and so I didn't check my picks after the first round, after they had lost. I just didn't watch it. And I was watching a few of the games because I like the upsets. And uh, Monday night, I was with the boys, and they were watching a movie, and I happened to see on, on my phone that the game was getting kind of close near the end. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll watch it. It's like, boys, we're going to pause it, and we're going to watch this. And I was not disappointed, right? The last six minutes were incredible. Back and forth, trading baskets, foul shots, free throws, double clutch, three-pointers. It's incredible. Well, it comes down to the end of it, and uh, Villanova, North Carolina, they're tied, and uh, Villanova has the ball. Coach calls a timeout, calls the play, gets back, comes up, and you know what happens. Didn't that play look so smooth as if they'd practiced it a thousand times? You know why it looked like that? Because they had practiced it a thousand times. The play is actually called Nova. And at the end of every practice, they will run that play so at the end of the game, they will always know what they're going to do. The play has different options, but at the end of every practice, no doubt they are going to run that play so they know what's going to happen. And it worked to perfection for them in the highest, on the highest arena, okay? Everybody is watching that. They step up and it looks like it's supposed to be that way. You, when you go to work, it is one of the highest arenas where you can honor God. It is where a non-Christian worldview faces a Christian worldview 
every single day. And if you don't want to look like a fool, you better practice this over in your mind, showing up every day to do this. And when that moment comes and you can speak the gospel or the moment comes for that promotion and the moment comes, you will step right in there as if it was practiced a thousand times because you've done it in your mind that way a thousand times. Do not waste work working for yourself. Work for the honor and glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for blessing us with the ability to work. May we never take that for granted. God, and I pray that we would view every aspect of it as an opportunity to serve you and to serve other people. You created us, God, for your glory and to do good for other people. So may we think like Christ as we work and serve you. Give us that mindset in everything that we do, Father, so that we might adorn the doctrine that we preach. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys. We will see you guys uh, next week.